0: Romans, who's enjoying this so far? Loving it. Loving it. All right. Well, we're going to continue. We are in Romans chapter 4 uh, today, and uh, so this is what I want you to do. Go ahead and open your Bibles. Get ready, um, whether it's in an app on your phone or whether you have a physical bi- Bible in your hands. Um, let's get there. Romans chapter 4. Uh, if you're new to New Hope, just so you know what we do around here, we teach through books of the Bible because we want you to know and learn and understand the Bible, and so uh, and so we just go chapter by chapter and um, and, and teach through it, and, uh, and this has been a great series. I've always said, like, the book of Romans has always been so intimidating for me, and I almost vowed to never do a sermon series on the book of Romans, just how rich it is. It's such a rich, deep, there's so many doctrines of the faith in the book of Romans, um, and, and we're going there. We're going in the deep end, and we try here at New Hope to make the Bible makes sense, right? And uh, hopefully we do a good job of that. And uh, last week, uh, Sam brought the message to talk about righteousness, and we're going to go deeper into God's righteousness and our righteousness and what that means and what that looks like. Like I, like I said earlier, the road to Easter, we're talking about this, why did Easter have to be a thing, right? Why did the cross have to be a thing? Why did the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have to be a thing? And, uh, and we're learning the answer why, right? We're answering that question, why did we have to get to Easter, and what is the big point of it? Now, if you don't know, uh, we we create these every single series. It's the reading guide, um, and it's a series guide. And so in the series guide, you have the opportunity to join us in the journey in the book of Romans. On one side, it, it just has um, some instructions on how to spend time with God every day. If you don't know how to do that, it's really simple. We give you kind of a simple map on what it looks like to just spend some time with Jesus every single day and find five, ten minutes to do that. And then on the back side, there's the scriptures to read each day. So we try to make it as easy as possible for you to jump in with us as we study through the book of Romans. And so you can grab one of these or you can look at it. It's in your app as well. It's online digitally. It's on our website. And um, and read along with us as we get to each uh, chapter. So you read ahead. Which is cool. It's like cheating in school. Like you get to read ahead, and uh, and then we study it together on Sunday, right? And um, and so you've probably already been read up on Romans chapter four. The other thing we have is a memory verse every single week. And um, it, could you move the camera a little bit for me, Sean? So that uh, it's it's a little more zoomed in, and my head doesn't cut off. So, um. Ooh. all right, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Sean. Um, <clears throat> so. Um, where was, what was I talking about? Oh, memory verse. That's right. So we also do a memory verse, and it's a challenge for a lot of us to actually, like, memorize things, and, uh, but we want to, that challenge. We want to hide God's Word in our mind so it goes to our heart and moves to our hands, right? It moves into life change, and so that we can actually use it in our life. And these two memory verses have been really powerful. This is like the heartbeat of the gospel. And this week, we're starting the other memory verse, which is Romans chapter 5, verse 8 which is what we're learning this week and next week, the really powerful part about what Jesus has done and about God's love, right? So let's read this out loud together. Um, This is the memory verse, Romans 5.8. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to learn about that today. Isn't that good news right there? Who's a sinner? Amen. All right. So, yeah, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a sinner. You're a liar is what it is. So, like, um, so uh, so we're hopping into this, this together. Now, before I start here, let me ask you a question. Who has ever been to the Grand Canyon? Just show of hands. I want to see who I'm talking to here. Everybody in Grand Canyon. All right. Who has ever seen a picture of the Grand Canyon? Okay. So, now, those of you who have been, does the picture do justice to the reality? It's so hard to capture. So, if, if, if you get a chance to go, just just go to Arizona, go to the Grand Canyon, you will go, wow, is what you'll do. You'll go, wow. Our family in 2017 and 2018, two f- Novembers back-to-back, um, Nikki and I went in 2017. We decided we should bring the boys. So we went 2018 with them. And so this is us at the Grand Canyon. Um, <laughs> my boys are like, are you going to show that picture again? The one... <laughs> The one where we can't see because we're staring at the sun. I'm like, yes, that's the one I'm showing. So this is a long time ago, right? This is 2018. But look behind this. That is the Grand Canyon. So we're on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and that flat line on the top of that picture is the north rim of the Grand Canyon. You can see across the whole Grand Canyon. Now, it's beautiful. When t- it is pretty all. And, and like, you're in amazement when you're looking into this canyon. It's not just like, I looked at it, it's like a ditch in my backyard, and I went home. That's not what it is. Like... There's, I could just keep looking and just keep seeing just the, the majesty of it, the power of it. But when you look across it, it's hard to determine the distance between where you are and the other side of the Grand Canyon, because you think, that's really not that far. I can see it, right? Like, that's, that's not that long of a distance. And, um, but the reality is, it is a very long distance. Here's an aerial view of part of the Grand Canyon, okay? So see that in the bottom? That's the Colorado River. That's not a creek, Okay. So, like, that is a, just a raging river underneath there. And th- this is one of the more narrower parts of the Grand Canyon. So, this isn't even, like, where we were standing. The average distance um, throughout the whole Grand Canyon is 10 miles across. Okay, that's, a, that's, a, that's big. Like, 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 that's a long way to see. Is Like, where our picture was taken, that's about 10 miles there behind us, being able to see across. So, just the vastness of the Grand Canyon is crazy. There's actually, um, like you think about hiking it, when you first see it, you're like, yeah, I could hike that in a day. You know, I could, I could go down, and get to the other side, and come back, whatever. And you would almost think you could because it doesn't look that far. But when you start going down the trail, you get a sign that looks like this. Look at the picture of the guy. <laughs> he is not doing so well, is he, right? This is what it says is, you know, hiking the Colorado River and back in one day is not recommended due to the long-distance extreme heat and nearly 5,000-foot elevation change if you think you have the fitness and expertise to attempt this extreme strenuous hike, please seek advice from a park ranger. In <laughs> the background, <is> like <laughs> please if you think, you know, let you need a more of a conversation here before you just say like, I feel good today. Let's do this, kids. You know, like no, you're going to end up like him, sunburnt and barfing, all right? So like it's a long it's a long trek because y- when you see it, you don't think it, right? When you see it, you're like, "Oh yeah, we can do this. We got this." You know, that's like the proud dad. It's like, "We're going to do this," you know, and like we're all going to die. You know, like it's, it's just <laughs> crazy to think about how big the Grand Canyon actually is, right? And how deep 5,000 foot elevation change. You don't understand what that does to your body. Like the oxygen is different. The, what you feel is di- the temperature from the top to the bottom is like 20 degree difference in that drop too. Like it's crazy what happens when you're hiking. And um, I have a hard time hiking to take the trash out on Sunday nights, you know, like... Like it's it's a lot of work to do that. Um, Now now where where am I? The the whole morning I'm using this as an illustration. Okay, we're going to talk about the Grand Canyon a lot today. So I wanted to frame that picture for us uh, because when you think about that distance between the two, the chasm between the two, we learned a couple of weeks ago as as we looked at chapters like the end of chapter one into the beginning of chapter three, this reality about all of our condition before a holy and perfect God. And we used the courtroom scene when we did that because the courtroom scene was that we will all stand before a judge at one point in our life. We will all stand before God in the final judgment. And we will all have to give an account of what we did while we lived on this earth. That moment will happen. And and the reality is when all of us, whether, and we talked about three groups, right? we talked about the ungodly, those that are like, I don't even think he's real, you know, and they they just like, just negate all of science, which is actually proving God. It's not disproving God. Like the miraculous wonder of a a single cell with 100,000 parts doing 1,000 things every single second. Like that didn't just happen. Like that's God's masterpiece. That we are all made up of those tiny little miracles every single moment of every single second. That is the creation that God made, and, and so the, there were the ungodly that came into the courtroom, then there was the, the um, wicked, which they're the ones I know I've screwed up, I know I've done stupid stuff, I know I'm a sinner, I deserve to be behind the defendant's table, like that's me. They already come in knowing that, and then we talked about the religious and the self-righteous, they came in thinking we're in the jury box because we're the ones that have the law. It was the Jews that thought they knew everything, had the religion, they had everything right, but the reality is we learned what happens. When we stand before that judge, all of us were found guilty, right? And I had you stand. If you were here during that, I had you, all of us stand up. I said, who's a sinner, right? And it's like, all of us stand up. And, and this is the picture of the Grand Canyon. This is, this is, this is the imagery. Let me show you this, this next picture. This is the reality, if, if our separation between God in heaven and God in his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection is on one side of the Grand Canyon, and we are here on earth like we're on the other side of this giant chasm, um, and we're trying to get to God in heaven. We're trying to make our way to get over to him, to be with him, to be in heaven for eternity, and, and to be in God's presence forever. This is the chasm that we're talking about today. This is us all being shown that we're guilty as charged. Like, we all have sinned, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Typically, when we—you uh, can pull that down now, Sean. Typically, what happens when we do something wrong, or like if, if you were—if you kind of knew you did something wrong, and you went to court, and you had to stand before the judge, um, there's, there's something inside of us— this kind of self-protective thing that we ask the question, but what can I do to make it right? Like, I know I screwed up. What can I do to like do better? How can I make it right You know, before this judge? Or if you hurt somebody else, you kind of get this sense of like, what can I do to fix this, to fix this thing? And we try sometimes, right? We try to fix things or we try to make things right or we try to like do good to outweigh the bad. And we kind of get this like um, bad thought in our heads of karma where it's like, if I do more good than bad, then it outweighs and, and then I'm okay again, right? And so we like, We do these things, we kind of justify by trying to do good to make it right when we do wrong. But here's the reality with God if you try to work your way to heaven, you will find yourself like the picture of the guy hunched over, sunburned, and throwing up. You will be spiritually burnt out, sick, and bankrupt because you'll learn you don't have what it takes to make that hike. You don't have it to inside of you to undo all the sin and bad you've done. We can't do it. And I know there's people who try. There's people who try to like, I'm trying to get right with God and I'm trying to work hard. I know I should do this. I know I should do that. And we live with a lot of shouldas, you know, I should do and I shouldn't, shouldn't do that. And like, we live with all these shouldas, but but, but the reality is none of that will make us right. It just won't. And so what do we do what do we do with this tension in our hearts, our lives, our souls, our spirits, and what do we do with the gas, the, the chasm, the chasm of the Grand Canyon spiritually between us and God? What do we do? What do we do? Well, today I, I, we're going to dig deeper as we're looking at, at Romans chapter four, and we're going to talk about righteousness at another level. Last week um, I was grateful for Sam. He brought this uh, understanding, this definition of what God's righteousness is. And so we're going now deeper because we're talking about three different types of righteousness, and, and really the last one is what Romans chapter 4 is all about. Okay? Okay. Is everybody ready? ready. Fantastic. You guys are awake. We're in it. We're going for it. Here we go. So the first um, righteousness that I want to talk about—man, I just had a lot of slides I didn't use—is this. The first, and you can take sermon notes in your worship programs. You can take notes there. Um, or if you have your own phone, iPhone, you want to take notes on that, you can, or however you want to do it. Take notes, all right? Um, the first thing I want to talk about is this thing called constant righteousness. Con- this is like when, when it, you're always righteous. But the reality is that's not us. God is the only one who lives in constant righteousness because God is holy, which means God is holiness. means he's set apart. He's completely different than any other creation because he is the creator, right? He's the one that made everything. There's, the, there's nobody like him. No, nobody will ever be like him. He is God. He is holy. He is perfect, and he is just. There is no duplicity or inconsistency in God's character or judgment. He is who He is, and He always will be who He is. And He always has been who He is. He is the only one who is constant righteousness. That is God's righteousness. I love how Psalm 145, when, when David proclaimed it this way, he said, The Lord is righteous in all His ways. Meaning, there's no ways where He's not righteous. He's righteous in all ways, right? Like, and kind in His works. I'm glad that kindness is attached to his righteousness. Because if it was God is righteous in all his ways and wrathful in all his works, we're done. We would be done if that's the the end of his character. It's not. His righteousness is attached to his kindness, which we all need. We're going to learn this by the end of this morning. His kindness is good. But he is always right. There's nothing wrong in him. That's God's constant righteousness. That's, that's that image of, of the Grand Canyon. God in heaven. He's separate than us. He's always, and, he, and he's constantly righteous. Now let's talk about the second type of righteousness, okay? The second type of righteousness is, is what I would call as comparative righteousness, okay? Comparative righteousness. This is where I am more right than someone else. Anybody ever do that? compare yourself with somebody else, do you know there's always going to be someone worse than you? All you have to do is watch TV <laughs> or, like, stream and scroll through Facebook or YouTube for 10 seconds, and you'll be like, my life's really not that bad. Like, they, they messed up, you know, like, they, they got issues. Come on, they're, they're on paternity court on TV. They got issues, right? this is comparative righteousness. It's where we're comparing our righteousness to somebody else's lack of righteousness. It's where we seem right, but they seem wrong, and we compare ourselves with them. Now, why are we talking about this? Because this is what the Jews were doing. Like, even the Jews that did not believe in Christ were comparing themselves themselves and their religion to all this new thing called Christianity, these new Christians. And they, they were comparing their righteousness in everything they did. They kept to the law that they were given in the Old Testament. They did all the right things. But the problem was it was all on the outside. Right? And, and the inside, the, the verse that Sam read last week was, is, um, I forget what the quote is, but it, they were like whitewashed tombs. The outside looked pretty, but when you looked on the inside, it was spiritually dead. Just God wasn't actually there. So they were comparing themselves, thinking that they were more righteous because they had all of what they thought they needed to have to be with God. Now there was then another level of tension because there were Jews who became Christ followers. They believed in Jesus, but then there were Gentiles who didn't grow up with the law, didn't grow up, you know, worshiping God. They didn't, and they became Christ followers. And so now you have all these sinners that know Jesus now and all these Jews who had the religion and they know Jesus, and now they're mingling. <laughs> you know, they're in the church together. And so these Christian Jews were like, but we're more right than these Gentiles. Even though we both believe in Jesus, we still had the law, though. We had the promise that it was given to Abraham. We, we had all that stuff, and they didn't. So we're more right than they are. And so still that comparison. I mean, read through the New Testament letters, and you'll see that tension exist in the, in the early church. Realize that tension still exists today. Legalism versus grace, you know, like that whole tension still exists today. This is where religion, it's religion over relationship. It's works over faith. And, um, and that is where comparative righteousness comes in. Because if my works are a little bit better than your works in the church, I'm a little bit more right than you are. That's comparative righteousness. And sometimes it sneaks into our hearts, doesn't it? Like we think something, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? That's when you say, God, please help. I want to take that thought captive and make it obedient to you, not to me. I don't want that thought to obey me or me to obey it. I want you to take it from me. Like that's, that's that whole process of taking thoughts captive and making it obedient to Christ when you get into comparative righteousness, this is what it looks like. Let's go back to the Grand Canyon view, okay? So, so let's go back to that picture. two. This, so this is, the, this is the gap between us and God in heaven, right? Now, imagine that I told you, in order to get to God, you have to learn how to run as fast as you can from the side that you're on and jump as far as you can across that Grand Canyon, and the person that gets closer is the person that makes it. What if I told you that's how all this worked? That's comparative righteousness, there is, a, in 1991, um, Mike Powell was uh, in the Olympics. He is the world record holder for the longest long jump. All right? So this is a picture of, of him jumping. Not that one. No, no, show the picture of Mike Powell. Sorry. You don't have that one? Okay. Anyways, so Mike Powell, he jumped 8.92 meters. You're, we're Americans. We don't know what meters are. So, like, this is it in feet. That is over 29 feet. That's, like, from me to the back row is how far he jumped. You got to be kidding me. So, like, imagine you worked out and you became the athlete to do the longest long jump at 29 point feet. The reality is that's as far as you'd still get in the Grand Canyon. You're still dead. Because now if you and I jumped, it would—go ahead and go to the next slide. That's where we would land. So, this is comparative righteousness. He jumped farther than me, but we're both dead. You with me? It doesn't matter when you're the longest long jumper or the shortest long jumper to try to jump the chasm between us and God. You will never get there. I, we can't get there. Comparison doesn't get there. That is comparative righteousness. And so in Romans chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 real quick. This is what Paul was attacking, the, not attacking, this is what Paul was encouraging and trying to challenge the Jews in, because they thought they could pull vaults across, <laughs> when the rest of us couldn't. That is what their thinking was, because they had the law, they had the promises of Abraham, and so this whole passage about Abraham, like he's trying to teach them, like, even your father Abraham, Jews, like... Abraham's a big deal for them. Like the, he is the father of the, the Jews, right? And this is what he told them, starting in verse nine, he says, "In this blessedness only for the, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? And this is where we get fun in the conversation, because the, circumcision was a sign that you belong and you're a Jew. I don't know why God picked that, but that's what he picked, okay? And, and so, so he's saying like, do you have to have the sign of being a male Jew to belong? Or is it for those who are also uncircumcised, which would be the Gentiles, those that weren't a part of the family? And so he's challenging them with this comparative righteousness. He says, uh, We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before. So in this passage, like Paul is trying to challenge him because they're thinking our righteousness is based on some external thing that we did to belong to this religious group. He's saying, but do you know what? It wasn't even that way for Abraham, your spiritual father. He wasn't credited righteousness being right before God after he was circumcised. It was actually... It was a lot later after he was circumcised that, um, b- that before it was credited to him as righteousness. Meaning, God, this is what God did. He, he found this guy by the name of Abram. He changed his name later to Abraham. And, and Abram, he just picked, picked a guy out the side of the desert. And he's like, you're my guy. Like, you're the most righteous person on this planet. You're living in a right way, even though you don't even know me fully yet. And so I'm picking you for the way you're already living, and, and now you're, you're going to be my guy. And for you, I'm going to give you promises. And this is what he said I'm, I'm promising you, at this point, he was like 90 years old, y'all. He's like 89, I think. That he hears these promises from God and said, You're going to be a great nation. Your descendants are going to be like the stars. I don't know about you, but kind of like the having baby phase ends a little bit earlier than 89 because. He and his wife Sarah had not had kids yet. Her, her um, womb was barren. She couldn't have kids. And it's funny because his name meant blessed father, like <laughs> excellent father, and he didn't have any kids. His name was a promise to come. And so, so God gave him this promise. No, your, your descendants can be numerous as the stars. And it said in that moment, he believed God. And that belief was credited to him as righteousness. He hadn't even—there even, was no law yet. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no, like, books and books of this is how you live and this is what I want you to do. There was no circumcision and uncircumcision. He was right before God because of the way he believed. That's what we're talking about today. So, so this is what um, Paul was challenging the Jews. He was saying— you can't walk in comparative righteousness. If you do, you need to understand your righteousness and their righteousness will never get to God's righteousness. The law, your works, what you do will never make you right before God. And so we can never jump across the Grand Canyon in our own power or our own might. Okay, now I want to get to the meat of the passage, okay? This is all just set up for us to actually read a big chunk of Romans chapter 4, because this is what we're talking about today. Today, we are talking about the most important righteousness, and it's called credited righteousness. I'm using C words. I'm having fun. You guys having fun? We're talking about constant righteousness, comparative righteousness, and today we are celebrating the fact that we get credited righteousness. This is when God's righteousness, I mean, His holy, His perfect, all of who He is, what He has, His character, His righteousness gets deposited into my account. Woo! Did you ever, did you guys hear this story? It was a while ago, that some guy woke up one morning, checked his online bank statement, and all of a sudden there was like two million dollars deposited into his checking account. Who would wake up that morning and be like, Jesus, right? Like you, like <laughs> you, like, what is this? Um, how, now, this is an honesty test. How many of you would call the bank? <laughs> right? Okay, you should, by the way, all right? Because like, if, if, if you didn't have that set up beforehand that, oh yeah, I'm getting a deposit just so you know, like you don't know what's coming. And it, it was an accident. Like it, it didn't happen on purpose. Like the bank accidentally did it and it happened by accident. And for a moment he was like really rich and he's like, Wah! he didn't spend any of it and they took it back. Right. But like, but this is this picture, like something deposited, Get, keep this imagery in your head, credited and deposited. Because we're going to read it a lot in this passage, in Romans chapter 4, so we understand how this credited righteousness works. Okay. All right. So this is the biggest chunk that we're reading. So let me take uh, some water, and you guys, you everybody ready? Ready. Okay. So chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And if, in fact, Abraham was justified by his works he had something to boast about, but not before God. So he's going back to that tension. He's like, if Abraham said, look at all the things I did, it's like all he would be boasting in is him. It had nothing to do with God, and that's the way some Christians live, right? He so says, that's not the point. What does Scripture say, though? Abraham believed God, and it was—say, every time we see this word, let's read it out loud together, okay? And it was credited to him as righteousness. You're going to hear that a lot in chapter 4. Credited to him as righteous. What was? He believed God. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation, right? You do a job. You work hard for it. You get paid. Your boss gives you money. That's not a gift. <laughs> it's not like, thank you for being so generous, boss. He's like, well, you earned it. You, that's how it worked. But we're learning, like, you cannot earn salvation. You can't work and get paid enough to pay off your spiritual debt. We can't boast in it. However, the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as what? Righteousness. You can see it again, right? What does it take us to have uh, um, uh, God's righteousness credited to us? It takes and faith. Okay, are you with me? You follow along? Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, let's skip down to verse sixteen. Okay. So down to verse 16, he says, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, right? So that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Now, this would have been controversial to the Jews. They'd have been like, no, 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 he's our father. He's the father of the Jews. Like, he's not the father of those Gentiles, those sinners, those ungodly folks over there. Like, that's no way. And he's like, no, no, yes way because Abraham was not justified by the law or by being a Jew. He wasn't even labeled a Jew yet. That had just begun, right? Like, he wasn't circumcised. It was faith. So whoever has faith belongs to the heritage of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, I apologize. (laughs) That was a part of me growing up in Sunday school. Verse 17, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, was the promise. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not, these are good words, against all hope. meaning So Abraham was given a promise that he was going to have kids. And against all hope, like the doctors would have been like, can't happen. Science would have been like, buddy, I don't, you're shooting blanks by now, and her womb is empty. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, like, all hope is gone for this to ever happen. Against all hope, Abraham in hope did what? Believe. Believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He's going back to the promise. He's like, Abraham was justified by his faith before it ever happened. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in the things we can't see and putting our assured hope in the things we believe God has promised or that he has absolutely promised in his word. That is what belief and faith is. It's believed that God said, God will, God can, and he does. That's faith. Okay, let's keep reading. God, you have the power to do what you have promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It was what? Credited to him as righteousness. Why? Because he had faith, because he believed in God, that God said, that God would, and that God did. But his faith wasn't based on what he did. It was before that. That is what belief and faith is. If you need the proof, it's not faith. Right? Okay, let's keep reading. The words, it was credit to him. You didn't say it out loud together. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. woo to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Woo! Chapter 4 is good. Chapter 4 is good. This is the heartbeat of the road to Easter. This answers the question, why? Why did Jesus have to do what He did? Why did God have His Son do what He had to do? So that the God's will was met. Jesus was the final sacrifice once and for all on that cross. But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. This is that credited righteousness. This is what we had to experience in order to be made right with God. This is the beautiful part of the gospel. Abraham didn't do it for himself. Throughout history, we see the Jewish history all through the Old Testament. It's good to read the Old Testament, y'all. Sometimes it gets boring and you're like, I don't know this list of names. Fantastic. But like, then you get, into the, you get into the stories, you get into the history. You see in the Old Testament the gospel being prepared. Jesus is all in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews who believed in God and had faith in Him were saved. Salvation was never by their works, even through the Old Testament. It was by their faith. It started with Abraham and continued generation after generation, and it's still the same today. It is by faith we are saved, believing in the fullness of of what Christ for us has done for us, so this is this is my last point: that God credits us His righteousness, which is mind-boggling, right? Just like Abraham, it's that God God credited him as righteous. What his belief. His faith, his trust in God was credited to him as righteousness. In that moment that he believed in the promise that God had given him, boom, righteousness in your account. That's what happened to Abraham. And what we read in that passage, that is for us. When we believe, it is credited to us as righteousness. Some people ask, how do you... How do you be saved? How do you get saved? How do you have an assurance that you are saved, right? How can you trust that you know that you will be with God in heaven? This is how. God credits us his righteousness, which this is what rightness is. Righteousness is rightness. It's our rightness before God. The other word in there is justification, right? Justified. It says, just as if I had not sinned. Whoa. What? And what you're telling me, Tim, is all I got to do is just believe. Yeah. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And the gospel is too good to be true. But it's true. And it's real. And it's what God has chosen to do for us, for you, and for me. When we believe in what? In Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not just belief that there is a God, okay? That's not it. It's not a belief like, well, there's a God, and it's like, he's one of many gods. No. It's when you believe in Jesus Christ as the death for your sin and that he was risen again, he rose again, so that you can have life in him. It's, that is the belief. I believe that Jesus did that for me and that He is my, the word is propitiation. It's a fancy word, right? That's a very tricky word. That He took my place. That's what He did for me. It should have been God looking at me and saying, you're going to have to hang on that cross for your sins. You've got to pay for it. Because that's the only payment for sin is death. But the problem with you and me is that we are not perfect. So our death doesn't equal forgiveness of sins. It took a perfect death, a perfect sacrifice as Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God. This word belief is so important through this whole chapter 4, okay? This word belief, is, it's, like I said, it's not just like a generic, like, ooh, believe. You know? it's, it's not that. Like The word belief, you get back to the Greek, this is what that word believe means. It means to commit to, to have confidence in to fully trust. That's not frou-frou belief, y'all. That's believing to say, I am committing 100% into the person of Jesus Christ for my salvation. That is a belief and commitment. That was Abraham with God. I believe God that God will do what he said he's going to do and that he is who he says he is. That was Abraham's belief, credited then as righteousness. Our belief is committing to Jesus Christ. This isn't this isn't light stuff. This isn't like, yeah, I kind of believe Jesus might be one of the other. or like, yeah, he's kind of a, you know, he's pretty cool. I like him. He's a good teacher. He's a good teacher, you know. No. It's it's a yes or no with Jesus. That's what belief is. It's a yes, Jesus. He died for me, and I'm committing my life to him. And I have hundred percent confidence and assuredness he is the only way to God. He is the only way to have righteousness deposited into my account, to be made right before God. He is it. This is what Romans 4 5 again said. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. Oh, justifies the ungodly. This is God's kindness. He is righteous and he is kind. In his kindness, he justifies the ungodly, which is all of us. Their faith, when we have faith in that, is then credited as righteousness. In 2013, let's go back to the Grand Canyon. In 2013, there was a guy by the name of Nick Walenda. He is a tightrope artist, also known as crazy, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and actually, Nick, uh, he's a strong believer, he, he did a special in 2013 on the Discovery Channel, a live event where he, he tightrope... Uh, I don't even know what you say. Tightrope walked across the Grand Canyon. So they spread this wire. Here's, here's a picture of him on the wire. So this is, this is Nick in 2013... It was a live event. Imagine that. Like, if something happens, it's live. Like, it's streaming, and he would fall, and bye bye right? Like, like, that would have been a bad thing. And so he, they spread this across a section that was 1,400 feet across. So it was one of the more narrow parts of the Grand Canyon. Um, and then they spread this wire across from one end to another end, and he said, I'm doing it. I'm going across this canyon. And so he did. He stepped out. He walked onto that uh, that wire. Here's a f- view from above. Anybody have any, like, you're afraid of heights? Anybody got afraid of heights, right? Like, some, uh, it's funny when we went, like, I forget which, it might have been that, that. It's like afraid of heights, he wouldn't even go to the edge of the Grand Canyon. He's like, that fence is too low. Like, I'm going <laughs> to stay back here. It looks pretty from back here, right? He's like walking on top, over, on a rope, the Grand Canyon. And he made it to the other side, by the way. If you want to watch, it's on YouTube. The entire time, just so you know, he's praying the entire time. And it's not like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. No, no, it's like he's, just, he's talking to his heavenly father. It's very cool. It's a cool testimony where he's like, God, give me the strength to do this. God, you're with me. I believe in you. And then wind would come. He had to, he had to crouch two times because the wind picked up and just, like, wait while the wind. What? Crazy. How—now, listen, I'm going to connect the dots. Now, go back to that picture for me real quick. Look down at that rope. In this moment as he's walking across, where is his faith walking across? It's on that rope. It's on that wire. He's trusting that that wire is tied tightly to both ends of that canyon. He's trusting that I'm going to take one step and nothing's going to happen to this wire. Each step that I take, I'm going to be safe. This wire is going to hold me one step after another after another. He made it to the other side, walking across that wire. Now, for us, us, what does this look like for us? here's the good news. We don't have a wire. So let's go back to the picture of of the gap between us and God in the canyon. That's where we are. God is in heaven. All of his righteousness, his constant righteousness, his constant perfection. We can run as fast as we can and jump as far as we can. It's still not enough. We need a bridge. And the bridge for us is Jesus. Jesus. This is the exchange that happens when we believe. God in heaven throws his righteousness into our account. (laughs) He throws it over the chasm. He says, It's yours now. I'm making you right. You're right. Like when I see you, just so you know, I see my son. And my son was perfect and is perfect. He is 100% right, 100% just. He's 100% me. And so, when I see you, I see Jesus. And when you walk across that chasm, you're not on a little tightrope. You're walking across a giant bridge at the cross. Because Jesus paid the way to close the gap between us and God and His righteousness. This is the gospel. He credits his righteousness into our account when we believe. You can do nothing to earn it. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how good you're gonna try to be. It's not about you trying your darndest to jump as far as you can to Him. It's not get your life right, then come to God. It's come to God and He will make you right. Amen. It's Jesus without all the religion. Do you know Why? because it's just Jesus. We have so many promises in Christ. They're all good. Do you believe? That's the question today. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you to make you right before God so that you can have eternal life You can have life now here on this earth and then eternal life with Him forever. Do you believe that's the moment it's credited as righteousness? Let me read what he did again. Let me go back. The words it was credited to Him were written not for Him alone, not just for Him, for us, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, it was He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Just as if I had not sinned. We're saved by this gospel, and I need you to know we walk in this gospel every day. It's not me being right. Now, can I encourage you on something? This righteousness isn't deposited into your account so you can keep sinning. When you are made right before God, you start to learn how to live right. That's a part of growing as a Christ follower. If the Holy Spirit's in you, He's going to start changing you. So maybe today you said, well, a long time ago I prayed to receive Christ. The prayer doesn't get you to heaven. Because if you pray to receive Christ and your life didn't change at all, I'm going to say you may not be saved. Because once God makes you right, he starts changing you to look right. It's a sign of salvation. It's not a way to get saved. You with me? So some Christians in this room, I want to first challenge you. Do you live as if God has made you right? Those of you who said, I know Christ, and I accepted him a long time ago, but nothing has changed in your life, today I'm going to ask you to believe it, Not just pray it or say it, but do you believe, are you committed to Jesus Christ? And so we're going to take some time to respond. I want to pray for you and pray for us, and and we're going to respond in some worship. So God, thank you so much for this word. It's, it's, it's It's so good, God. You are a good God. We do not deserve righteousness. There's nothing that we can do to earn righteousness. So in this time that we get to respond, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you be working in all of us? Each of us need to hear from you because we know it's, it's not our words, it's not my words, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that draws us to you. For some of us it might convict us of some sin that we need to, to ask for forgiveness. Some of us, we just need to confess our unbelief and today choose to believe and commit to you. But God, for all of us, just speak in this time. Let me, let me talk to the Christian in the room for just a second. We've been praying, and I've been praying during this se- series, that God would revive our hearts. And I'm praying today that that might be happening in you, that you understand the greatest gift you've ever been given as a Christ follower. And that you would let God revive your heart by the power of His Spirit and to draw you closer to Him. And that, um, and that you would be so thankful for what's been credited to your account today. Just, I guess let that sink in, the promises you've been given and the, the faith that you get to have in God. And if you're a Christ follower, I, I am going to challenge you. If, if you have been made right, Are you living right? Are you allowing God to grow you? Are you in a a small group? Are you in a quip? Are you in in places where you are growing and being challenged and changing? You have to keep growing. So I would encourage you to take whatever step you need to continue to grow. But those of you in the room that you don't know Jesus, you haven't put your trust in him and you know it, but today you're making a decision to say, I believe I want to I'm committing my life and belief and faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you today, uh, we want you to respond to that word that God is probably already putting in your heart. The Holy Spirit works. He's the one that calls us into his presence. He's the one that invites us from one side to the other. He's the Holy Spirit is God's presence in us and around us, drawing us to him. And today we're going to take some time in worship, but I'm going to be available to pray. I'm going to ask Nikki to be available and Um, some of the prayer team up here up front. And if you want Christ today, if you want to confess your belief, come up and pray with one of us during this song. Don't worry, when people see you coming up, they're not gonna judge you. That's not how we operate we're Jesus without the religion, y'all. Okay. So like we're gonna be celebrating what God's doing in you and you're gonna have people praying for you as you're moving and as you're walking. Like, don't be afraid. Don't let fear be something that fear pushes against faith. Let your faith grow over your fear. Like walk in faith. And maybe today you just need somebody to pray with you about a specific thing that the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you or some challenge you're in. That's another thing to be prayed for. So we will be available. Some of the worship team, if, if you guys see some folks too, you can join us in that time. But let's respond. We're going to sing that song, Promises. Because great are his promises. His promise to Abraham was great. It was credited to Abraham when He believed. Let's believe in the promises of God. God is who he says he is. So let's stand together, church, as we take this time to respond. And let God work in your own heart. Again, the prayer team and, and myself, Nikki, will be up here available. God, would you just lead us in this time? Would you meet us in this time? Would you speak to our hearts, God? Holy Spirit, would you, would you just oh, help us to not be afraid? And help us trust in your promises in this time as we respond. It's in Christ's name. Amen.